guy named John Wayne Gacy. And if you're old enough, you know who John Wayne Gacy is. And uh, I was absolutely terrified. And they showed up on the screen a picture of him dressed as a clown that he would dress up as and he would go to children's birthday parties. I'm not going to go any more into John Wayne Gacy, but that image of him as a clown at a children's birthday party. And that night, of course, I had to go to bed. So I went to bed. And in the middle of the night, I heard something in my closet. I was woke up, didn't know quite what it was. And out of the closet walked my little clown doll that I had. Just walked out of the closet, looked at me, its eyes shifted around, kind of smiled, and it laughed, and then it ran back into the closet. I was terrified. I didn't know what to do. I screamed and screamed and screamed, and my mom ran into the room and said, what is it? And I said, you're not going to believe it, but a clown came out of my closet and tried to get me. And when I started screaming, it ran back into the closet. Uh, I still, as an adult, I realized that that really probably maybe didn't happen. Maybe. But... What has lasted with me is my absolute fear and terror of clowns. There is nothing more terrifying in this world than a clown, in my opinion. But I have history with clowns, obviously, coming out of the closet, trying to get me, all sorts of stuff. And I can remember, if I really try hard, I can feel what I felt that night absolute panic and terror. And I know, looking back, it looks silly to be scared of something like that. It's your imagination running wild. We know where you got the image. It was scary. It was terrifying. I get it. But it really didn't happen. But to me, at that moment, there was nothing more terrifying that I ever experienced. And I still look back to that moment that evening as one of the scariest moments of my life. And you go, oh, Tim, you haven't lived a really big life then if that was the scariest thing. But you don't understand. It really did walk out of that closet. You could hear it giggling and laughing and screeching and its eyes shifting all around. To me, it was a matter of life or death when I screamed for help. We may go through a lot of things like that in life where we are petrified and terrified and stiff with fear, anxiety, and the lack of peace. We have no idea what's going to happen next, but right now I cannot even think or move. The emotion of fear is just so strong. And the world looks at a moment like that, and it tries to offer peace and comfort. It tries to offer reassurance. But there is a vast difference between the peace that the world gives us and the peace that God gives us, that Jesus gives us. A vast difference. The world says, well, take another drink or take another pill or, you know, make sure you get counseling type of thing or, you know what, just grow up and be a man. You know, don't cry, you know, tough it out. Or, yeah, you're right, life is full of terrors. Just surrender to it, be scared and dig your hand or head in the sand every time something comes around. Ignore it, create a different reality. It has all sorts of ways of dealing with anxiety and fear but it's a false peace that they offer. 
Whereas God offers a peace that is secured by his word and the actions of his son and deals with the root problem of our fear and terror and war within ourselves, and that is through the work of Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're going to see a rather famous incident in the life of Christ. And I think everything that happens in the life of Christ is famous. But this is one that automatically comes to mind when you think of a miracle of Christ with the idea of peace. So let's go right away to John chapter 6, verse 16 through 21. And then we're also going to look at Mark and we're going to look at Matthew. The same story in Mark and Matthew just a little bit more expanded for those audiences. John keeps it very short because John wants to get to the last week of Christ more than anything else. Everything that happened before is important and valuable, but John knows other people have written about that. I don't have to go into detail. So he doesn't go into great detail in John chapter 6, starting in verse 16, where Jesus walks on the water. So he has just fed... 25, maybe even 30 to 40,000 people the night before. He secludes himself, goes to the other side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee, and we pick it up in verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. So from the mountains down back to the sea, got into a boat and started to cross the sea to Capernaum, which is the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It's about four or five miles of uh, distance that they're traveling uh, from one side of the sea to the other because it's a shortcut. If they walked around the sea, it could take them more than a day or two, but across the, the sea itself, it's not going to be that long for them. Plus, most of them are accomplished fishermen on the Sea of Galilee, so they know this sea like the back of their hand. They're very good at sailing. So they get into the boat, head down to the sea, and started to cross, and now it was dark. And Jesus had not yet come to them because he had left them. Remember what the Jews wanted to do with Jesus after that miracle of feeding? What did they want to do? Make him king and let him provide all of our needs. But they weren't looking for the right type of king. They were looking for a king that would satisfy their physical needs as well as freedom from Rome. They weren't looking for a king that would subdue their heart and free them from the rule of sin. And so they tried to make him king. Jesus leaves, goes into the mountains. His disciples at that moment decide, hey, we need to get back to the other side of the sea. So they get into the boat and they head across. Jesus was still on the side of the mountain. Verse 18, the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. There was a storm. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat and they were frightened. I know that feeling of fear and terror. I was in my bed, minding my own business, sleeping in the dead of night when the closet door opened and that doll, clown doll, walked out and tried to get me. I know what it's like to have that moment of absolute terror, not knowing what was going on, what was real, what was not real, what was my imagination, and what was happening in front of me. I know the panic that ensued in my own heart and that little voice screaming, help, help, help. I can envision exactly what those disciples were feeling on that boat. Because what they were seeing, they had never seen before. And in their mind, it couldn't happen. These were people who were born and raised and lived and worked on the sea. They know what water is. You do not walk on water. When something is walking on water, it is extraordinary and not normal and definitely terrifying and filled 
with fear. They saw someone walking. In the middle of a storm, in the middle of raging winds and waves, it was rough, and they saw Jesus walking, and he comes near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. I'm sure they recognized the voice, they recognized the figure as it got close, but still that didn't make any sense to them. Why would Jesus be walking on water? How can anyone walk on water? Now there was a, a video, I don't know, a couple years ago uh, online, and uh, it, it showed a guy starting from the side of a lake and runs right across the water to the other side of the lake. And people were blown away with this video, how this guy could run across the water like that. And it, it made it circles, it made millions and millions of views, and people were just, you know, just fascinated that this guy really could do it. And some people were saying, well, it's a fake, it's a magician. Some people were saying, oh, it's power, whatever it might be. And um, come to find out, it was indeed fake. The guy had a piece of wood that was buried about two inches under the water, so as he was walking, it looked like he was on water, but he really was stepping on uh, two by four of two by something else that was out in the water, and it was not a miracle. It was totally, totally fake. How far was the boat in this story away from the sea's edge, from the shore? Four to five miles. Jesus did not have time to lay a plank of wood underneath the water that he could walk on it and fake his disciples out. First of all, he had no idea which way they were going to go. That's impossible. But what is not impossible is that Jesus is able to control nature to the point where he can walk on a liquid and it is as calm as day when he gets to the other side. And the beautiful way in which he tells his disciples to relax and have peace is simply to communicate to them, it is me. It is me. The moment on that fateful night when I was afraid in that bed, screaming in terror, the moment I heard my mom's voice, Tim, it's okay, all of a sudden, that doll ran away, hid in the closet, never to be seen again. We threw it away that next day. I just hope it doesn't come back. It's possible. It's really not possible, but the moment I heard my mom's voice, though, immediate calm came over me, immediate calm. I know what it's like to hear that voice and have that fear dissipate, to have that terror solved, to have that anxiety and fear gone, just simply at the voice. <sighs> I'm not in it alone. And Jesus was communicating that same exact principle. You're not in it alone, disciples. Yes, this is extraordinary, and it's demonstrating my power that I am the overcoming God King, that I am the promised Messiah. I have power not only over life and death and bread and fish, but over the elements of this world. I have power over every molecule in this universe. It is mine. Of course I can walk on water. I created it. I sustain it. I hold its 
I hold its properties in my hand. Nothing happens outside of God's decretive will in this universe. Every inch is his, including a stormy sea, breezes and winds and hails and rain and raging waters. It is I, do not be afraid. Verse 21, then they were glad to take him into the boat. I imagine they were mystified and confused and relieved. And we're going to see that in the next passages we're looking at. But they were the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now this is a miracle in and of itself, and all too often people pass that last verse as, okay, they got to the other side. They're in the middle of the lake, in the Sea of Galilee. Jesus walks to them, and all of a sudden, boom, they're on the other side. They're done with the journey. They have just traversed miles without even any effort. They're there. Now, they would not have been confused because they were experts at living on the sea, especially this body of water. They knew where they were. They knew they were not close to land. They would have just rowed that little extra bit, and they would have been there. But immediately when Jesus gets into the boat, they're on the other side. Let's look at two other passages that talk about this exact same event, one in Mark chapter 6, verse 45 through 52. Mark chapter 6, verse 45 through 52. And I'm not going to go through and have lots of explanations, but I want, to see, I want us to see how expansive this story is. John gives us the highlight. Mark and Matthew start to give us big details about what is happening. So verse 45 of Mark chapter 6 says, Immediately, uh, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethesda, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. It was about the fourth watch of the night, and he came to them, walking on the sea, and he meant to pass them by. But when, he saw, when, when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. The terror, the fear, the anxiety, the stress, the moment of, it's unbelievable. They cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. He got into the boat with them. The wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Mark tells us, same story, same event, same scenario, but adds that there's this confusion in the hearts of the disciples that they're truly not getting what's going on. They don't understand about the feedings. They don't understand what's going on here. Their hearts had not yet been surrendered to Christ as their Lord and Savior. They were still confused and, and utterly at, dismayed at the events that they were seeing the past year. How was all of this happening? They weren't making the connection yet. And that's okay. 
They don't have to immediately make that connection. The Lord's working on them, just like the Lord works on us and those around us. Doesn't immediately, everything becomes obvious and understandable. It takes time and the leading of the Lord and reading and praying and studying to fully understand how he is at work in our lives. Totally understand that. So give yourself a little bit of break that you don't fully understand all of God's word and everything he communicates to us. We will never have a full understanding of it, but we have a gradual understanding. But the disciples at this time really did not understand what was going on. And you might think to yourself, that feels impossible because they walked with him. They talked with him. I mean, he did miracles in front of them. They were helping him with the miracles. Okay, they were collecting baskets of food and stuff like that. But they were deeply involved, and they still weren't fully understanding that he is their Messiah, the overcoming God King, with power and authority over life and death, over bread and fish, over the weather and water. Not fully understanding that. And I love the fact that Mark is so honest, saying, you know what, their hearts were hardened. They didn't fully understand any of the things that were going on. They experienced it. They knew it was real. It wasn't their imagination, something coming out of the closet. It really was Christ walking on the water right beside the boat. And he stopped and gave them comfort and peace. And it started with him saying, it's me. It's all right. Don't live in fear. And Matthew mentions that exactly same story as he's talking about it in Matthew chapter 14, uh, verses 22 through 33. Matthew 14, 22 through 43. Or 33. I'll give you a second to turn there or type it in and uh, link to it. Matthew 14, starting in verse 22. Same event just happened, feeding of the 5,000, and verse 22. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Okay, that's, this has happened twice, both in Mark and in Matthew. He goes up to the mountain and what does Jesus do? He prays. Okay, I got to stop here for a second because that raises a question. Why does Jesus need to pray? He's fully God, right? He can create life from death. He can heal the sick. He can create enough food out of just a few fish and a few loaves of bread to feed thousands and thousands of people. He walks on water. Why does Jesus need to pray? He's fully God. He's also fully man. Fully God and fully man. And as man, he shows us and demonstrates how dependent he is on the Father. He shows us how to really live life, that life including our life must include these moments of prayer, showing our dependence upon God, our need for God, our praise to God, our love of God, loving that communion with God. So Jesus not just does it as an example to us, do what I say and do what I do, but as fully man, he knows his life is dependent upon the Father. 
His interactions with one another is dependent upon the Father's leading. He's looking to the Father for guidance because we need guidance. So he goes up to the mountain and prays. I'd love to know what that prayer was. I'd love to know what he's asking the Father. And we see glimpses of it. We see him with the Lord's Prayer saying to his disciples, saying to us, this is how you should pray. And then we have, and I'm not going to get there today, but in John 17, there's no way I'm getting to John 17 today, but once we get to John 17, you're going to see the Lord praying in a way that is comforting. That's all I can say, is it is comforting to know that Jesus, at a point in time in his ministry here on earth, prayed for you specifically. It's amazing, astounding. But that's in John 17. But here we know that he went up to the mountain and prayed, and when evening came, he was there alone. Verse 24, but the boat was by this time a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when his disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, scared, frightened, lack of peace, full of anxiety, full of dread. Because what they saw and said, it was a ghost. And they cried out in fear. I know what that crying out in fear feels like when you are terrified to the point where you have nothing else to do but scream. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Same comforting voice, same voice that they recognized, same voice that they had heard thousands of times the year before as they walked with Jesus one-on-one -on -one and as a group, listening to his teaching, listening to him say, you're healed, listening to him say, the Lord blessed this food and it multiplies. The same Lord that said, your son is healed and they're healed. The same Lord that said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they followed him. They recognized his voice. And I do have to ask at this moment, if you have a, a moment of terror or fear or anxiety or uncertainty in your life, if the Lord spoke, it is I, would you recognize that it's the Lord speaking to you? Would you recognize the Lord's voice as he speaks through his word? Would you recognize it? Because that is what will give you comfort and peace in a moment of terror, in a moment of fear, in a moment of uncertainty, in a moment where you feel your life is unraveling around you that you cannot bear another step or wait. If he said, I'm here, don't worry, don't fear, would you recognize it? I'm not talking he's going to audibly open up heavens from a cloud and shout down and you're going to go, okay, that, that must be him. Because he uses the ordinary means of his word to speak. He uses the ordinary words written on these pages to communicate with you, to encourage you, to correct you, and to comfort you, and support you, and to give you peace. Would you recognize his voice? Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. 
And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you and walk on the water. (laughs) There is so much about Peter, so much about Peter to love, and so much about Peter not to do. He is really good at showing you what not to do, but he also is true and genuine. It's a man after God's heart, desiring to be simple and fundamental and say, Lord, if it's you, tell me to walk on the water. In verse 29, he said, that is, Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Miracle! But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when he had gotten into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. A minute before, they saw a ghost and they were terrified, screaming and crying out, Help! I have no idea what they were crying out, just terror screams because of what they saw and what they felt at that moment. And less than a minute later, I'm just guessing it was a minute. I don't think Peter was walking very long before he started to have doubt that this was really Jesus performing this miracle, and he was scared of the wind and the waves, and he began to sink, and Jesus gets into the boat, the wind and the weather stops, and they worship him. They worship him. When Jesus enters a life, even his children, and brings them peace and tenderness and comfort in the moment of terror and fear and uncertainty, our response should be one of amazed worship towards God because we do not deserve that comfort and that peace that God gives us. It is a gift of his by grace that we enjoy. And they worshiped him. They worshiped him. They didn't thank their lucky stars. They didn't hold on to a special coin or memory. They looked to Jesus, acknowledged who he was, the Son of God, the overcoming God-King, and they worshiped him. As much as I would like to be with Jesus on that mountain, listening to his prayer, I would love to be in that boat to listen to that song of worship. I wonder what they sang. I wonder what they sang. I wonder what they declared. I wonder if it was in tune. I wonder if it even had a melody. I don't know what it would sing, but I'm sure it would communicate something about his goodness and greatness, about how he alleviates fear and anxiety and sorrow and pain and terror and how all their hope is in God. It's one of the questions I want to ask when I get to heaven. So what did you guys sing? What was that worship song that you immediately broke forth in when Jesus calmed the storms and stepped into that boat and, of course, saved poor doubting Peter? All of this brings us to the close, to our take-home. 
You may not be stranded or struggling against a mighty storm in a boat. You may not even be <laughs> hiding under your bed sheet because something crawled out of your closet to scare you. But I imagine that there is something in your life that you are uncertain of, that you don't know how it's going to play out, that it may even scare you a little bit. You may have a little anxiety about the next day. It may be money. It may be a job. It may be relationships and family. It may be your health. It may be, where is this culture going? How is it so different from when I was a young kid? There may be a million things in your mind that gives you fear and anxiety and uncertainty of life. Recognizing and believing our God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is in control is that sweet voice that comes in the midst of a storm, that comes in the midst of terror, that voice resounding, it is I, it is okay, do not be afraid of the next day or the next step or the next minute. It's okay. Jesus has you firmly in his hand. Firmly in his hand. As one of his children, he is not letting you slip through the cracks of his fingers. He has got you. And you may feel like life is out of control, that there is no direction, that you have no clue how this is going to end. I'll tell you how it's going to end. And I'll tell you how it's going to go all the way through to the end. He has you. He is not going to leave you or forsake you. The storm is not going to drown you and defeat you. He's got you. And the end of that is he's still got you, even when you have that very last final breath. And we will all experience the moment of death unless the Lord returns. He even has you when your breath has left your body and your heart has beat its last beat. He still has you. How do you respond to that, Christian? How do you respond to that peace that is overwhelming that Jesus gives? How do you respond? I'll tell you how you respond. You respond by standing up and praising God in worship. Let's stand, let's sing, and as the band comes up, let me close us in prayer. Father, we're grateful and thankful for a moment that we can praise you and acknowledge your goodness and greatness in our life. You hold us, Father. We have peace and peace through you that you've established because you are the overcoming God King, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and our Savior. In your name, all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.